Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Now let's go back and hear from the deputy governor um, who gave us reasons as to why the, um, the circulation will be in two weeks. Oh, next week, sorry. So as far as it being legal tender, it is immediate. Now that it's been announced, these notes are legal tender. But you are right. Today is a Friday. Uh, the banks will now have to... Normally, they come on Mondays for species to be moved to their various branches for them to feed their ATMs and others. So they will come. It has to be uh, calibrated into the system. And so from next week, you begin to see, depending on the demands from the banks, these news beginning to go out for customers to be able to, or for the public to be able to get access to them to use. But the systems are being calibrated as we speak now. And the banks will start uh, getting these species moved to their various branches starting from next week, Monday. But some will say that it will also be a, a demand-based because it's not... Do I get from you demand-based? Because it's not everybody who is going to use the 100 or the 200 uh, 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 Ghana cities for transactions immediately. But we also recognize that once it's new, and it's very beautiful, I don't know whether you've seen it, everybody wants to see a copy. So you have an initial jump in demand, not just for transaction, but just to appreciate this very beautiful note. And that was the Deputy Governor of the Central Bank, Dr. Maxwell Upokwafari, who has been explaining to Joy Business why the notes would be in circulation from next week. You're still listening to the Joy Business Report, and we move on to other stories. 
and the Minister of Trade and Industry, Alan Kojo Chemante, has called on investors from Germany to take advantage of the calm and enabling environment created here to invest in Ghana. The minister, after addressing an investment forum in Berlin at a German Business Council meeting and investment summit, also signed some economic and bilateral agreement. He also signed a joint declaration with the German Secretary of Economy and Energy to establish a competency center for mining and processing of mineral resources in Ghana. So as far as it being legal tender, Germany has an opportunity now to reach this market through a gateway. And we want to suggest to you that Ghana is your preferred gateway. We have a strong, resilient macroeconomy. We have probably the best credentials in terms of democratic governance. We are proud that we offer a safe and secure environment. I can tell you, every investor wants to make money, but the investor wants to stay alive after making money so that he can enjoy his food. That is why safety and security is very important. We also have a very good complement of infrastructure, and we are continuing to improve on that infrastructure. And we also offer a fair, equitable, and transparent judicial system, which is very important. In business, anything can happen. You may run into difficulties, but you must be guaranteed a fair and equitable judicial system that will support your own investment. That was Alan Kojuchiramati, who is the trade minister. Now, Ghana currently imports about 60% of its oil palm from countries like Malaysia to feed its manufacturing companies. In today's business journal, we take a trip to the western region to visit one of Ghana's oldest oil plantation, Benso Oil Palm, existing from over... 40 years from tens of thousands of hectares of cultivated lands now only cultivate 6,700 hectares owing to challenges with a section of land. Udile Ntiamwa has more in today's business journal. Established in 1976, well, with a current workforce of close to 1,700, well, Benso Oil Palm Plantation decided to expand its frontiers. And guess what? They are actually employing close to 500 outgrowers whose lives have totally been transformed. We're here to really dissect what happens at the Benso Oil Palm Plantation. So, well, come with us. In 1997, 69-year-old Peter Louis Mensah got 4.5 hectares of palm trees from the Benso Oil Palm Plantation. As a resident of Adum Banso, one of the three communities benefiting from the plantation, he tells the team how his life totally transformed. Oh, you don't have anything at bank, you don't have any savings, but how can you go to bank? I, I, I tell you, no. But with this thing, they send our money to the bank. And with this, you can go to the bank and request some money, and they will give it to you. But every month, they will pass your money to the bank, and they will make the decision. As old as Peter is, Benso even goes further to support him to harvest the fruits. Farmers are paid close to 1,000 Ghana cities every two weeks. What are the sustainability footprints of the Benso Oil Palm um, Plantation is clearly evidential here. But the ability of this to sustain the factory needs of the Walmart refinery is really below capacity. They can do just 
10% of the oil needs of the refinery. At 7 p.m., palm fruits are still being processed. Because the quality of oil produced could be affected if the harvest for the day is not cleared. Virtually the whole palm tree is useful. The chaff from the fruit has generated one megawatt of electricity which takes care of 90% of the electricity needs of the company, saving them close to 3 million Ghana cities year on year. For year to date, figures we are talking of, we have generated more than 2.7 million kilowatt hours of energy in-house. And that will translate to something like, just only for the kilowatt hour charges, will be something like 2.3 million Ghana cities. The chief of the community, Nanakwando Brempong, is overwhelmed at the benefits Bob has brought to his community. In fact, it has actually gone to improve the lives of the, the, the people of Edinburgh. So my advice to my colleague chiefs is that they should at least release lands for such projects. Benso Oil Palm has so far moved some of its operations into Nigeria, where they are developing 30,000 hectares. Sustainability runs through the very fabric of this oil palm project with several benefits, including employing close to 2,000 people. All Benso oil palm plantation is begging for is land to increase its footprints, including employment, education, and green energy. Odilian Tiamwa, Joy Business. And that's it for the Joy Business Report. My name is Norvan Akwahefordi. Now, our top headline was the 200 and 100 city banknotes to be in circulation from next week. Meanwhile, we've had some mixed reactions to the launch of these notes. Join us later on. Coming up is Locker Room with George. Bossman, I'm at the bank. Really? But your car is in front of your house. Bro, my bank on my phone, Charlie. Oh, how? Ecobank, bro. With Ecobank Mobile app, I can do everything, anywhere, anytime. Listen, I just checked my account balance, paid my school fees, and sent money to my grandma at Wale Wale. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Masa, just download the Ecobank Mobile app from the Google Play Store or the App Store or dial star 770 hash and be your own bank manager. Manager, manager. Whether to pay bills or fees, to check account statements, send money across Ghana, abroad, and more. Ecobank Mobile app has got it covered. Ecobank Mobile, making everyday people live everyday lives the Ecobank way. Ecobank, the Pan-African bank. May I please have your attention for the following announcements. Togbi Aveji III of Anglonga. Togbi Goka II of Anglonga. Regent Nyaho Tamaklo of Wuti Bagona Beho Potufe. Adeka Sebwabwe, Eva Jinawo Gajekbo of Fosuhene and allied families of Accra, Voja and Anglonga regret to announce the passing on of Colonel Michael Kweko Bagona, retired. He died aged 90. Funeral arrangements are as follows. On Wednesday the 4th of December 2019 at 6pm, the body will be laid in state at his residence. House number, code GL 04263376 on Thursday the 5th of December 2019 at 6:30 a.m. to 8:40 a.m. 
pre-burial service in Fallon Past will take place at the St. Catherine Roman Catholic Church at Bremer Camp. Interment will take place at the new military cemetery at Bremer Camp. On Sunday, the 8th of December 2019, memorial and Thanksgiving service will take place at 9 a.m. at the St. Catherine Roman Catholic Church at Bremer Camp. Widow Mrs. Major Ernestina Baguna retired. Nay Edwards. Children Evelyn Baguna Hall, Anastasia Ofusuhine, Michael Baguna Jr., Dorothy Baguna, Charlotte Baguna, deceased. Dress code. On Thursday, black and white, and on Sunday, all white. All friends, acquaintances, and sympathizers are cordially invited. Your call number four, Ebusiapini Kojo Aikbe, Nana Opaibo the second, Obatan of Ejumako Onwane, Obapini Ekuya Isimawuma, Obapini Ama Andoa, Opeyi Kojo Duo, Brahene Kojo Ata, Opeyi Kweku Odum. Regret to announce the death of the late Hannah Mavis Nkrumah Ajefi, a.k.a. Mama Hannah. She died age 64. Funeral arrangements are as follows. There will be no way keeping. The body will be laid in state on Saturday, the 30th of November, 2019, at the football field, Gimpa Campus, at Chimota Ligon Road, in Accra, at 5 a.m. Burial service starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday, the 30th of November, 2019, at the football field, Gempa Campus, at Chimota Ligon Road in Accra. Thereafter, the family will meet on the same Gempa field for the final funeral rites. Widower, Mr. Daniel B. Nkrumah Ajefi. Children, Mr. Emmanuel Nkrumah Ajefi. Reverend Nkrumah Ajefi. Dr. Samuel Nkrumah Ajefi and Eliana Nkrumah Ajefi, mother Okia Asimawuma, grandchildren, four, all friends and sympathizers are cordially invited. That's all for the announcements. Thank you very much for your attention. For all your sports news and the locker room. Hello, I'm Sarah Mulkerns, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the very best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. European action in midweek has set the tone for the approaching sporting weekend. And managers and players alike are united in the quest for maximum points across the continent. In Spain, the tussle for top spot between Real Madrid and Barcelona continues. In Italy, Mauricio Sarri's Juventus look to put off challenges into Milan. Battles in Germany and France couldn't get any keener. But in England, there's daylight between the leader and the challengers. Corner kick though for Liverpool. And it's bubbling around. It's a right old scramble. And it's in for Mino. After a right old ding-dong inside the six-yard area. Puts the ball in with just over five minutes remaining. There is simply no stopping Liverpool. They're back in front of the league leaders. Palace 1, Liverpool 2. Well, we saw the gap. And he scores a brilliant goal. It's a wonderful goal by Riyad Mahrez. Brilliant.
cleared. Mara scores. It's a delightful goal. It's really hard on Chelsea, but Manchester City lead 2-1. Vardy misses his kick. Iborro's there. What a save from Cavallero. But Vardy forces it in. It's the equaliser for Leicester. The alien English champions are away to Newcastle in the early kickoff on Saturday. Liverpool have a job to do in Brighton at Anfield. And the Dark Foxes in this race face the trouble of Everton. We have a preview to all games. On the continent is a new season for the flagship club football competition as Africa's elite clubs begin campaigns in the CAF Champions League and CAF Confederations Cup. Lays it up to the left-hand side. Now down the touchline. Ball back into the penalty box. Helen very well by Wahid. Walid Hamid got the goal for Hilal. Tunisian Giants at 12 de Sahel face Egyptian Giants ugly in the headline fixture and March day one of a competition offering 2.5 million US dollars first prize plus an invite to the 2020 Club World Cup in Qatar. Analysis to come. Also coming up, Formula One. And it's lights out, away we go. And Sebastian Vettel did get a better start, but it's a short run down to the line. And Verstappen covers him off. Hamilton is trying to squeeze around the outside. Down the red to Aposta. Can he now fight back? Leclerc made it very tough earlier. And for the... Oh, oh no, he's it. got a puncture. They make contact. And Charles Leclerc has got a puncture caused by contact with his teammate Sebastian Vettel. A checker flag is out. The Brazilian Grand Prix goes to Max Verstappen. A year after he finished second and had it taken away. It is redemption day. So the captain prepares to come down on the 2019 Formula 1 season under the floodlights of the Yas Marina circuit in Abu Dhabi. After a thrilling Brazilian Grand Prix which saw Red Bull's Max Verstappen twice pass world champion Lewis Hamilton on his way to victory, the drivers are again riding and racing for pride. With a title long since wrapped by the British Mercedes driver. We preview the action to come this weekend. Head to our Facebook page, joy slash 987FM, our WhatsApp line, 0244-340-437. Or tweet at us at joysportsgh and reacting to our question of the day. In basketball, there's an ongoing inquisition into the poor form of the Golden State Warriors after their baseball starts to the new NBA season. Truly four years after breaking the record for the regular season wins, Golden State's are definitely on track for another big single season drop-offs. More to come. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sports. Hello from me, George Adder Jr. And welcome to Preview Friday. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. All right, so go on. Let's hear from you on the WhatsApp line, 0244-340-437. Great afternoon to have you on. And I know Arsenal fans are definitely big on our show. So let's hear from you. You can also tweet at us at JoySportsGH on Twitter. And we know this. It's the time of the season when managers are mentally preparing a half-term report. Not all such reports will be accepted by the respective boards. Unai Emery lost the plot. Of face of goal, and this time it is in from a Off the underside of the bar, and Arsenal 
Bristol grab the lead in stoppage time in the first half. I think we are better than we are we are showing. Kamara, one one, lovely strike from him. I track Frank for the level, and the Japanese international has done it with the sweetest of strikes. Yeah, clueless. Absolutely clueless. He ain't got no idea. He can go and all as far as I'm saying. If he thinks that's acceptable mm. over these last few weeks, then he can piss off back to Barcelona. I don't want to see him again. It's absolutely pretty. This is not the Arsenal football club that I fell in love with and followed. Out it comes. Commander again. 2-1. He's got them both. And Arsenal suddenly in trouble. I'm done. I want him out tonight. I want him out tonight. I want him out. I want to wake up in the morning and see that he's gone. Have the board. I'm not even on Emery right now. I'm on the board. But these managers pissing me off now, bro. It is official. Unai Emery has been sacked as the Arsenal manager. Well, the first part of the deal is done. Arsenal fans have got their man out. There's no Unai Emery. But the big question is, who steps in then? And that's what we're asking you today on the show. You can send us your messages. I've heard some of you say Mauricio Pochettino, the former Spurs boss, is the right man. We also know there are rumours flying in. Carlo Ancelotti could be interested in all of this. But let's get into England now. The BBC's John Bennett standing by to give us the updates after Unai Emery was sacked. Well, this news has caught nobody by surprise. It had been coming. Unai Emery sacked as Arsenal manager after 18 months in charge. And he's replaced temporarily by assistant and former Arsenal midfielder Freddie Ljungberg, who's very popular with the fans. As for the Arsenal board, who had been backing Unai Emery through this rough patch, they've finally taken this decision, they say, because results and performances have not been at the level required. They haven't won in seven games. They lost 2-1 at home to Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League on Thursday. And they're without a Premier League victory, more importantly, since the 6th of October. They're eight points off the top four, and that was their, their big target to get back in the Champions League. In their statement, Arsenal say they have full confidence in Freddie Lundberg to take us forward. The search for a new head coach is underway. We'll make a further announcement when that process is complete. He'd actually done well, Unai Emery, last season until the, the final few matches. They were in the top four. They dropped out of the top four. They lost very disappointingly in the final of the Europa League to, to Chelsea. And it was always going to be difficult for Unai Emery. It was his first season in charge after taking over from Arsene Wenger, who, yes, had lost his way at the end of his time in charge of the club, but, but was a legend and brought so much success during his early time in charge at Arsenal. So... Not a surprise that Unai Emery is gone. The question is, who will they go for next? There are various candidates. Nuno, the manager at Wolves. Will they go for Eddie Howe at Bournemouth? Will they try and get Max Allegri, who used to be at Juventus? Patrick Vieira, possibly, who's at Nice? A few candidates, but no one candidate who really stands out. It's a national afternoon, so let's hear from you. Yeah, I've got a few of your messages on our Facebook page, choice slash 997. Now, there's a lot of European football talk to come later on the show, but we have to talk about the African continent, right on this continent, what we've got for you uh, later this weekend. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Lays it up to the left-hand side. Now down the touchline. Ball back into the penalty box. Headed very well by Wahid. Walid Hamid got the goal for Hilal. 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 Hilal.
No better place to start this afternoon on the locker room than on the Continental. We know the Continental Club action in the CAF Champions League and CAF Confederations Cup certainly begins with the group phase. There are big ties to come in the elite division. Hopefully all is settled after the shenanigans of the past and the journey to another final begins in earnest. And there's time to get some perspective joining me with some analysis as our African football expert Noah Adams. And thanks, Adams, for your time. It's great to have you back. And we're looking forward to a great season like we had, or even better, last season. So let's begin with the tough ties. Undoubtedly, the toughest group with the defending champions, Esperance of Tunisia, are up against three former winners, J.S. Kabili of Algeria, Raja Casablanca of Morocco, and Vita Club of DR Congo. But let's talk about Esperance, who visit Raja in mixed form and beating after six rounds of the domestic league, but shock losers to Morocco's Olympic Safi in the Arab Club Champions Cup last 16 tie. How do they start? Of course, George, as defending champions, Esperance Sportive Retainers will want to start um, this season's campaign on a good note. Um, um, looking at what they've done in the past two seasons, they can't um, start on a bad note. Um, likewise, Rata Casablanca also aiming to start their, their campaign on a perfect note. Um, all because last season was a disappointing season for them. Um, they got out of the CAF Convention Cup just after the group stages. So this the time for them to make amends. Already, the two teams have met in the in the year in the CAF Super Cup that was played in Doha, Qatar. Raja Casablanca winning two one there. Um, Esperance will, will want to seek a revenge from from that, but it's not going to come easy because the match is being played at the Mohamed Afi Stadium in Casablanca. We know how Raja Casablanca are solid, how formidable they are whenever they are playing at the Mohamed Afi Stadium. It's, it's, it's going to be a double agony for Espanse Sportive de Tunis if they should lose to Raja Casablanca. Um, the Espanse we know um, two seasons ago are still not this, as, and, uh, it's not the same because they, they're missing um, some key players um, like Frank Com, who was so instrumental in their two CAF Champions League triumphs, um, Galen Chalali, a key player in the experience team, Sad Brigio is also not in, but um, they have very good replacement for for these absentees. They, they have Kwame Bosu um, from Kumasi Asante Kotoko, they have Watara also coming in there. Elias Shetty was bought from. Um, GS Kabili. So they, they, they have a very good team. Raja Casablanca looking at um, the kind of investment they've done this season, bringing in Fabrice Luamba Nguma and the likes to, to, to their fold. They have Ben, ben Malango in Gita from TP Mazembe as well. So um, you, could, you, you could see this game is, is not going to be an easy one. And one interesting thing is that four days to kick off match tickets are sold out. This should tell you how important this game is going to be to the fans and officials of both clubs. Um, one thing I know is that Raja Casablanca playing at home, they look favorite, they have the advantage. Esperance um, per the current form in the CAF Champions League, if they're able to get a draw, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think Raja um, can take this one. They have the advantage, they are favorite to win it. Now let's talk about TP Mazembe of Democratic Republic of Congo. 
and Egypt Zamalek, both five-time winners of the Champions League. They meet in Lubumbashi after the unimpressive passages through the qualifying. What do we expect in this game? TP Mazembe hosting Zamalek at uh, the start TP Mazembe in Lubumbashi um, looks like it's going to be a one-sided game because TP Mazembe have been very, very impressive at home. Um, the last time they tasted defeat at the start TP Mazembe or at home in the CAF Champions League was in 2009 October when they lost 2-1 to Al-Helal of Sudan. Since then, they've gone 45 games without a defeat and um, managing 36 wins with 9 draws, that's, that's quite a, an impressive record to beat. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult for Zamalik to, to break down this home record by TP Mazembe. So, I think TP Mazembe are overwhelming favourite for this one. I'm looking at the, the kind of investment they've done this season, bringing in about um, 11 new players. It should tell you how serious TP Mazembe are taking this season's CAF Champions League. Zamalek, not in the, in, in the best of forms. They lost in the Egypt Premier League 2-1 to ENPPI before I'm travelling to Lubumbashi to play TP Mazembe, so I think TP Mazembe with that that home with that home form, um, should be able to to win this one. So yeah, no, we will keep our tabs on the Group A action to come. But let's slide into Group C with that Casablanca Morocco, the champions, quarter finalists, and runners up in the past three editions launched their campaign for a third title away to the troubled USM Alger of Algeria. What do you expect? Uh, well, George, um, that's going to be another interesting match. Um, USM OJ with that athletic club is a North African derby. We know how these derbies up north always end. Cracking atmosphere, intriguing football. Uh, you can feel everything about North African derbies. And um, USM OJ are not playing in OJs. They are playing in Blida. That's Stad Mustafa Chaka. But um, they, they still look favorite. Because you know, North African sides um, have have this mentality that even if they will lose, not at their home. So um, this is one thing pushing USMOJE to go in for the kill. Yes, um, they've, they've been in hard times um, with players going six to seven months without salary. Um, their their owner or president um, being in jail for corruption allegations and all that. But um, to be able to qualify to the group stages should, should tell you how tough these players' mentality are. Um, I think um, it's, it's, it's going to be a difficult game for them because with that, uh, also in, in a great form in the CAF Champions League. But I think um, if they are able to push their ass together playing at home, um, they, they should be able to win it. Well, we can end now, though, talking about probably the biggest game of the weekend. Two of the continent's giants, Lockhorns, as hosts at all the Sahel of Tunisia, face record champions, Egyptian giants as well, Agli, at the Radis Olympic Stadium. Such a good game to look forward to. And uh, who's winning this for you? It's going to be <laughs> a cracking game. At all the Sahel, are very familiar with Al-Ali since 2005. They've met 11 times in calf competitions, with Ali having four wins, Twelve Sahel having three wins and the other four being draws. So, so Ali, I'm looking at um, their away form from last season. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Ali to go to start Olympic Dorado to beat a twelve sportive Yes, they've started their 
Egypt Premier League on a, on a, on a quite a, a good note if you look at how they've been beating teams here and there. Um, uh, I should tell you they have a very good team. They ha- they are in great form. But um, there is a Twilight Sahel which are also trying to make sure they get things done perfectly. You know, um, they've already sacked their, their, their coach, Fauzi Benzati. And just last week, they appointed French or Spanish gaffer, um, Juan Garrido. Um, Juan Garrido was in charge of El Ali in 2014. He led them to the Calf Congregation Cup um, triumph. So, um, Juan Garrido at least know a little bit about El Ali. Yes, they are not the same squads, but I think um, with with Ali's culture and everything, Juan Garrido have an idea. So, this, this, this is going to be um, a very, very country encounter at the start of Olympic Dorado. I think Atlantis Sahel have the advantage if they are able to push a little bit. I think they, they can get a win. Ali want to start their, their campaign perfectly by getting a win. It's not going to come easy. If they will do that, they'll have to double up their, their efforts. Um, I think Atlantis Sahel might win this one or a draw is, is very, very possible. That's the Group B action. Thank you very much, Inu Adams, for our time on the show. We'll be looking forward to all that comes in match day one of the group phase of the CAF Champions League. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Sebastian Vettel did get a better start, but it's a short run down to the line, and Verstappen covers him off. Hamilton is trying to squeeze around the outside. Down the red to Reposta, can he now fight back? Leclerc made it very tough earlier. Uh, for the, oh, oh no, he's got a puncture. They made contact, and Charles Leclerc has got a puncture caused by contact with his teammate Sebastian Vettel. Oh, and Vettel's got problems too. Checker flag is out. The Brazilian Grand Prix goes to Max Verstappen. A year after he finished second and had it taken away, it is Redemption Day. Hamilton fights Gasly to the line. Gasly comes home to take second place. Formula One next on the show. And after thrilling Brazilian Grand Prix, which saw Red Bull's Max Verstappen twice pass world champion Lewis Hamilton on his way to victory, the drivers are again racing for pride with a title long since wrapped by British Mercedes driver, you know, Hamilton there. And of course, restoring the pride is very much on the agenda for Ferrari after the nightmare collision between Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc at the Interlagos in Brazil with the Scudera desperate to put on a united front before the end credits roll. Elsewhere, the traditional end of the season goodbyes will be in full swing with Renault's Nico Hakenberg among those bidding farewell. Now, Hakenberg is without a seat for next year and with only one 2020 drive to be filled, Williams have yet to replace the departing Robert Kubica. It seems likely the German's 10-year-old Formula 1 career is at the end for now at least. So let's get into some analysis as we look forward to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And Raymond Yamado joins me, a member of the Formula 1 viewing Ghana party who have kept up with all 20 races of the season so far. It all ends on Sunday in Abu Dhabi. Raymond, what a run. Or what kind of a run has this been? 
Thanks for having me, George. It's been an interesting season, 20 races so far, and it's been interesting because we've seen a lot of color being added to it on the Ghanaian front with the Formula One viewing party. It's been an exciting, you know, session this year. We had lots of fun, uh, and there are always, you know, lots of talking points when we meet for the viewing parties, and it's been one of those seasons that we won't forget. It's actually treated us to some excitement. We've seen lots of excitement this season. A lot has happened in Formula One this year. We've seen lots of drama. We've seen lots of excitement. We've seen some tragedies as well. And so, you know, it's been a mixed bag. But all in all, it's been very, very exciting because we've seen some top performances from drivers like Max Verstappen. I remember in Hungary, it was quite a race to behold because he was in the lead before, you know, Lewis Hamilton finally actually got in on him with that superb overtaking. And so, you know, we've seen some brilliant performances from some drivers. We've seen Charles Leclerc also, you know, prove that He's not a rookie. He's no longer, you know, the little man up there. And he was expected to be the, the, the wingman for Sebastian Vettel. But he's actually proven that he's a handful. He's one driver that is destined for a big future in the sport. And also, we saw the controversy at Red Bull when Pierre Gasly was actually asked for Albon to actually get in. You know, all that added some, some, some bites to the Formula 1 season. But for me, I think that Mercedes have shown the way once again actually dominating the circuit. They've dominated on the circuit in terms of their performance on the circuit. You look at the, the championship itself. They actually won that convincingly six times in a row and also the Constructors' uh, Championship, they actually won that as well six times in a row. And it clearly tells you the dominance of Team Mercedes. Toto Wolf and his charges have done a great job this season. And I think that the title was wrapped up in the first half of the season when Lewis Hamilton actually won eight out of the 12 races. I think that that was when the title was wrapped up because you look at his performance in the first round. Absolutely fantastic. And there were lots of races that you would expect Lewis Hamilton to lose, but he was getting the pole positions and he was making sure he dominated races from start to finish. And that, I must say, was what won him the title. Because in the second half of the season, all he needed to do was to consolidate points and he did that perfectly with a couple of podium finishes. He was never really chasing the pole positions, but he made sure he picked up maximum points to ensure that he wrapped up the title. Right, Raymond, so we're looking forward to the action to come this weekend. And the Yas Marina probably isn't a circuit that is going to provide the unfamiliar faces on the podium like the Brazilian Grand Prix did two weeks ago. Hamilton has won four times in Abu Dhabi, three with Mercedes and once with McLaren. While Mercedes, as constructors, have taken five victories, is it safe to predict Hamilton wins? George, yes, Marina definitely will give us something exciting. It will give us something to talk about. It will give us something to cheer about. And I'm not sure we are going to see the lineup we saw in Brazil. Brazil was quite interesting. Max Verstappen, we were expecting to actually win that race because of his dominance on that circuit and how he lost out a year ago. And so we're expecting a performance from Verstappen. Now, Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz, that's quite an interesting one. These were drivers who they themselves wouldn't have fancied themselves on the podium. But well, you know, Brazil was full of drama and I'm expecting a lot of drama at the Yas Marina as well because we are expecting Lewis Hamilton to dominate this race and you look at Mercedes record you know over the last few years post um, 2014 turbo hybrid era we've seen Mercedes actually dominate that circuit they've won there on five different occasions we've seen Lewis Hamilton win on three occasions Nico Rosberg winning on once and we've seen Valtteri Bottas also win in 2017 so it's a circuit that fancy that you know that that fancy is a good finish for Mercedes and you look at the other winners on that particular circuit you've seen you know Sebastian Vettel also putting in some fantastic performances for Red Bull at the time. And so I'm expecting Mercedes to dominate this one. And looking at the mistakes that Mercedes did in the last race, that race strategy was actually 
you know, not the best. And a lot of people would blame the fact that Toto Wolf himself was not there um, that day. But I think that that late tight change under the safety car did not help Lewis Hamilton at all because it made him drop from second to fourth. And so, you know, listening to Toto Wolf before this race, he's been talking about the fact that they have a point to prove. They have to prove a point in this particular race. So I'm expecting Mercedes to go all out and dominate this particular race. I'm expecting Lewis Hamilton to also go in there and put in a good performance. And Valtteri Bottas himself, who's already won on the circuit in 2017, also to actually put in a shift. So it's looking very much like we are going to see the faces that we know on the circuit in terms of the in terms of podium finish. We are going to see the men that we know to do the business right up there. Raymond, in 10 years of racing in the United Arab Emirates, Ferrari have never recorded a win at the Yas Marina. Vettel is just one behind Hamilton with three victories at the track, but all of them coming during his multiple title winning period with Red Bull. Can Ferrari ride the wrongs of the Brazil Grand Prix here? Tough question, George. And this is quite a tricky race for Ferrari because, you know, they go into this race not knowing the state of mind of both drivers. And a lot has been said about the state of mind of both drivers. It's been quite competitive between both drivers because we all know that Vettel was supposed to be the main man for Ferrari. But along the line, we saw Charles Leclerc actually put in some fantastic performances and that actually shifted the focus from, you know, the man who's actually won four titles to the young man who's just joined Ferrari this season. And so a lot is going on between both drivers and there's still that little competition for for fourth place in there just 19 points separate those drivers and Vettel definitely will be hoping to actually usurp the young man and so there's a lot to drive for in this particular race but I don't think that Ferrari will dominate the circuit it's been difficult for them in the last few years and I don't think that the story is going to be any different Vettel has the experience on that circuit having won there on three different occasions with Red Bull I still think that he would be one of the drivers to fancy when it comes to podium finishes but I, I don't think that Ferrari can go into this race and win it. That collision itself, you know, caused a lot of problems. You know, there were deep cracks in that Ferrari team and Mattia Binotti labeled it as a disgrace because both drivers should actually know better. And so all that is going to play a role in this particular race. All that is going to play on the minds of both drivers and I don't think that we are going to see any dominant performance from Ferrari. The momentum is not with them and I don't think that it's going to, it's going to be a different story from what we've seen in previous races at the Yas Marina for Ferrari. Well, Raymond, the point is, so much is settled. So what else are you looking out for in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix? And of course, I'm sure you may add your podium predictions as well for me. It's difficult to look beyond the two Mercedes drivers at the Yas Marina because Mercedes have a fantastic record on the circuit. So definitely going to be a Lewis Hamilton win and possibly Valtteri Bottas coming in second. And you look at the momentum with Red Bull and Verstappen. I think that Verstappen would finish in this race as the third best driver. And I think that Lewis Hamilton should be able to finish his 11th win of the season at the Yas Marina. And George, I think that Ferrari has struggled in this competition. They've struggled. And you look at the state of mind, Obutin should be able to finish his 11th win of the season at the Yas Marina. And George, I think that Ferrari have struggled in this competition. They've struggled. And you look at the state of mind of both drivers at this point. I don't think that we can expect too much from both drivers. And so I don't see Ferrari actually making any impact in this particular race. But George, earlier on, I spoke about tragedy in Formula 1 this year. And Formula 1 legend for Mercedes, Nicky Lauda, passed away this year. And also... 
Formula 2 rising star Antoine Hubert also lost his life on the circuit. That was really, really, really sad indeed. Enjoyed. It just tells us about the risk the drivers put themselves in when they actually get onto the circuit to entertain us. I would like to say, may their souls rest in peace. And it's been an interesting season in Formula 1. I hope to be back next season, 2020 season, for more exciting analysis. Thank you very much, George. All right, so join us at Starbite Nesta Square where we wrap up the season, uh, the 2019 season for Formula 1. We've got the Formula 1 viewing party GH. Yes, Formula 1 viewing GH will be live there. We can get to watch. There's so many prizes that you can pick up. Make sure you're with us at noon on Sunday as we view the Dubai Grand Prix. Now, though, it's time to get into the Joy Sports BBC two-way series. And I had a great chat with the BBC's John Bennett. Enjoy this. Thanks, John, for your time this weekend. And it's another big English Premier League weekend to embrace. Talk on the games to come shortly. For now, can we reflect on the midweek action in Europe, though? And after Benzema put on a good performance against PSG at home, the question many have attempted before has resurfaced. Is he the most underrated striker in Europe? Yeah, we actually did a, a an article about this on the BBC Sport website this week, talking about Karim Benzema and the fact that I believe, and many people believe, that he is so, so underrated. Thomas Tuchel as well, the Paris Saint-Germain head coach, talked about this. He's been in superb form this season, looking as though he'll be La Liga top scorer. I think the shackles are off. Uh, maybe it came a season too late. Everyone expected last season that, that he would... He would deliver. And to be fair, he did. I think he got 30 goals in all competitions last season after the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think he's been an unselfish striker in the past. He provided so many goals for Cristiano Ronaldo, whether it was direct assists or indirect assists. And I I think his career will always be overshadowed by off-field issues. And, you know, the allegations, of course, with the, the whole blackmail scandal involving Mathieu Valbuena, which, you know, didn't lead to any... Any uh, any charges for for Karim Benzema in the end, but that will always be a shadow hanging over in the fact that he doesn't play for the France national team anymore. He's missed out on so much. He missed out on a Euros final, missed out on a World Cup winners medal, and, and I do feel he's underrated. I, I think he's he's going to have a fantastic season for Real Madrid. English Premier League talk now, John, and we're just halfway through the season, and it feels there will be more managerial casualties before the end of the year. Everton's Marco Silva is under pressure and it gets worse this weekend with a fixture against Leicester City. Is Marco on his way out? Yeah, I, I think it's only a matter of time, really. Marco Silva had a kind of mini revival, didn't he, with with Everton, but then they lost to Norwich last weekend. And you, you speak to Everton fans, you know, I don't live too far away from Liverpool. You speak to Everton fans, they are so down about their team's performances. I saw them play a few weeks ago against Burnley and there was just no dynamism there didn't seem to be any creative creative ideas as to how to break a team down it was so so predictable and the signings haven't really kicked on Alex Iwobi hasn't come in and done much Moise Ken I think that's been a difficult one he hasn't settled in at all he hasn't been given an opportunity by Marco Silva so, yeah, he looks as though a manager who could get sacked at any time. The difficulty is for, for the Everton board, there are some really tough games coming up. 
do you sack Silva and then bring in a new manager when there are tough games so they get off to a poor start or do you wait until those tough games are over and then appoint a new manager I'm going to the game on Sunday at the King Power Stadium Everton against Leicester very tough game for Everton on form on paper you'd expect Leicester to win it comfortably Leaders Liverpool face a crazy fixture congestion in the approaching month coupled with the Carabao Cup and the FIFA Club World Cup commitments they welcome Brighton at home in a contest they should fairly win but is this shadow next month a threat to their title chances? Yeah without doubt I think in the Napoli game in midweek it was almost as if Liverpool were thinking ahead rather than focusing on that game they have to take it one game at a time I think Brighton actually is a good fixture for them because Brighton will will attack they're a team that, that goes for it they won't sit back they won't park the bus and I think that that helps Liverpool so I think this weekend Liverpool should win comfortably but 10 games to fit in before the end of the year they have to travel for the Club World Cup this is a defining moment in Liverpool's season this is make or break now as to whether they win the title and this is Manchester City's opportunity Manchester City can't afford to drop any points in this period leading up to Christmas they have to keep applying the pressure on Liverpool and that's why the win over Chelsea last weekend was so crucial for Pep Guardiola Right, John, let's end with some key games with interest down here. And you may want to update us on Tammy Abraham's injury as Chelsea prepare to face West Ham in the London derby. And then Moreno Spurs are up against Bournemouth. What should we expect there? And of course, the champions are the St. James's Park against Newcastle. Yeah, we'll find out more about Tammy Abraham, I think, today. Frank Lampard will update the media as to what the seriousness is of, of Tammy Abraham's injury. Michi Batshuayi and Olivier Giroud are waiting in the wings, so it's not the end of the world, but we know that Tammy Abraham has been in great form. West Ham, interesting opponents. Manuel Pellegrini, it's been reported, has two games to save his job. Chelsea and Wolves coming up in quick succession. Manuel Pellegrini, it, look, it looks as though he's heading for the exit door. A heavy defeat against Chelsea, and I think that will be curtains. Tottenham up against Bournemouth. You never quite know with Bournemouth what you're going to get from week, one week to the next. They're a good side, they play good football in patches, but sometimes can't deliver for the full 90 minutes. I think Tottenham will create enough chances to win that game with the likes of Harry Kane and Deli Alley getting back to form. And Newcastle beat Manchester City last season, but that was under Rafael Benitez, who is an expert when it comes to, to shaping a defence against the big sides. I can't see a Steve Bruce Newcastle United side beating Manchester City you know it's no disrespect to Steve Bruce I think he's a good manager and I think he he hopefully will see Newcastle safe for another year in the Premier League but, but I can't see him being a match for Manchester City having said that they did beat Tottenham didn't they earlier this season they seem to have been performing well against against the, the, the big sides in, in the Premier League but, but yeah I think City should win comfortably Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Green and Pascal said no. Oh, man, on it. He'll shoot that over the top. Ooh. Oh, Marquise Chris. See, he spiked it inbound on that one. See there, I want him to jump into his chest like he normally does. He kind of trying to avoid the contact. Five passes. You're going to Good play by Willie Cauley-Stein. Dribble and one-two. Willie Cauley-Stein sends Redick away. Jonas Valanciunas with Tyler Anderson. And there's block number five. Um, sucks. But I guess it's about everybody except Tim Duncan and went through it, but it sucks. Now, I didn't have this, though. That it would be like this. So let's do the NBA. 
and the Golden State Warriors are 314. They finished 57-25 last season, but now they have the league's worst record, net rating and defense. The Golden State is being outscored in entire quarters by a single opposing player and is seemed doomed to suffer one of the largest single-season declines in NBA history from finals participants to lottery favorites from an overstuffed cast of future Hall of Famers to an outfit starting undrafted rookie in a Bowman and second-round pick Eric Paschal. Now, we can measure the gap between a team's successes in one season to the next in a couple of different ways. First and most basically is the overall record. Only seven teams have ever declined by 30 wins from one season to the next. And only two have ever reached a 40-win decline as the Warriors are threatening. Joining me to try and understand what's happening to the Golden State Warriors is our basketball expert, Yao Minta. Yao, thank you very much for your time. To be fair, ahead of the season, you predicted the Warriors were bound to struggle. But did you see it happening this bad? I said previously, I, I did expect them to at least make the playoffs, but I did not see the the slew of injuries they would have to endure and that's why they are bottom of the standings in the in the western conference and they have the worst record in the nba with just four wins uh, out of 19 games all seasons and and that's mainly because no matter how good you are you cannot recover the bout of injuries that these guys have suffered uh, we knew that clay thompson wouldn't be um, an important factor in this season because he's he's still nursing an ACL injury. Steph Curry hurt his wrist and is expected to be out till January. Draymond Green has been in and out of the lineup with injuries to his back, to his hand, and the fact that D'Angelo Russell is also has his injury issues and he has not played for the uh, for the past um, five games. Kevin Looney has also been absent. These guys have been hurt so much by the injuries to the point where in a game against the New Orleans Pelicans, um, Coach Steve Kerr had just eight players available for that particular game to them and he even tagged them as the elite eight. And that's how bad the injury situation has been to the Golden State Warriors and to the fact that there's very little they can do because injuries are part of the sport and no one expected things to be this bad. I didn't expect them to, to have that same run of form but to be this bad to win just four games out of 19 games this season i didn't expect it so yeah definitely problems there for the Golden state warriors is there anything they can do right now about the situation with the games coming in thick and fast there's very little they can do all they can do right now is to stay committed to the course and continue doing what they are doing that's playing the young guys uh, extensively on the court, giving them that experience that they will need in the upcoming season. Because unlike other teams where the rise to a championship level usually takes them two, three, four, five years, I believe the Golden State Warriors uh, have just this season to suffer. Once they scale this season or go through this season, they will get back to the level where they're a championship contender. I don't see them winning the NBA title in the next two or three years because there's still LeBron James, there's still Anthony Davis around, there's still Kawhi Leonard, there's still Paul George around. But I see them getting back to the level where they are championship contenders, but not bottom feeders as they are right now. And that's mainly because they will get Clay Thompson back, they will get Steph Curry back, Draymond Green should be fully rested for next season. I don't know the fate of D'Angelo Russell. Maybe 
they, they would want to keep him maybe they would want to trade him for for extra picks that they will use to go draft a top player in the NBA draft that's next season because looking at the Warriors record right now they are very likely have the chance to pick very high yeah, I mean, so with analysis, and we look forward to the NBA action to come. Yeah, there's some games there as well. There are games in the CAF Confederations Cup and as well in Europe. Here's Moses Yabwa with a wrap of what to look forward to. Munich will host Bayer Leverkusen with the hope of earning a fifth straight win in all competitions. They face a struggling Leverkusen side who have won just one of their last six Bundesliga action. Jürgen Klinsmann's first duty as Hertha Berlin manager is a clash at home to out of form Borussia Dortmund who have just won two of their last eight Bundesliga games. Second placed RB Leipzig will travel to bottom side Paderborn and league leaders Munchen Gladbach will host Freiburg on Sunday. Real Madrid will head into Saturday's clash with Alaves knowing that a draw or better would see them move above Barcelona to the top of La Liga. Los Blancos are currently second in the table on 28 points, with just goals separating them and leaders Barcelona who are in a titanic clash with Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid on Sunday. Having sealed top place in their group in their midweek match day 5 Champions League clash at home against Atletico Madrid, league leaders Juventus welcome 13th place Sassuolo to their Turin home ground this weekend. The Bianconeri are the only unbeaten team in Serie A this season, leading Inter Milan by a point. Inter meanwhile take on Spa and Napoli at home to Bologna. Monaco will hope to build on a recent round of decent form at home when they welcome Paris Saint-Germain on Sunday. Leonardo Jardim's side have won three home games in a row in all competitions, but will nevertheless feel underdogs against a PSG side currently eight points clear at the top of the table. All right, we've got live commentary for you on Sunday. Join us on the EPL Club on the Joy Sports Arena. There's Manchester United up against Aston Villa at 4 p.m. That's when the build-up is. And then the commentary begins at 4.30. Join us at the Nesta Square, yeah, Starbites, to round up the 2019 Formula 1 season. Join us at the Chimota Golf Club as we come your way with the wonderful Labadi Beach Hotel at Chimota Golf Club Media Lunch. Now, though, that's it for the show. My name is George Adi Jr. And coming up shortly is Joy Headline News at 2. Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports and supported by the BBC World Service. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.